If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and take it and turn them to John chapter 11. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but we are currently living in the golden age of superhero films. Like the major films of this summer, of last summer, of the summer before, were all about superheroes. They've already got it planned out that Marvel has two or three movies a year coming out about superheroes until like 2020. Batman versus Superman is coming soon. Now, that's great. People, my kids love that. But when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in the 80s. Anybody here grow up in the 80s? Apparently not. All right. We got any 80s kids around? When I grew up in the 80s, we didn't have a lot of superhero films. Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Action Fest. Sure, we got Rambo 1, 2, and 3, Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. We've got all kinds of action movies. We had those. Movies about the high school geek that finds some way to fall in love with the popular girl. Yeah, we had plenty of those. Steven Spielberg epics like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T. We had those kind of movies. Even movies about um, crazy furry creatures that you can't feed after midnight. We We just didn't have superhero movies. Except for one that I remember. In my childhood, I remember playing this movie on a Betamax machine. Anybody, how many know what a Betamax machine is? How many have no clue what it is? Yeah, they don't either, all right? Anybody here have a Beta? Like, my family thought Beta was the future. We bought a Betamax, and then we couldn't buy any after a while. But this is, I remember watching this movie on Betamax. This was my superhero movie growing up, Right? Superman, Christopher Reeve, the, the great stories, the Lex Luthor, the, the amazing acts that he did. In the first film, there's this scene that I always thought was just the coolest thing. Now, remember, this is in the mind of an 8, 9, 10-year-old child. Today, I realize it's completely impossible and doesn't make any sense. But back then, I thought it was really cool. And there's a scene in here when Superman's love interest. Who's the love interest in the Superman movies? Lois Lane. Lois Lane is driving down the road and all these, Lex Luthor's calling all these major catastrophes to happen. And Lois Lane's driving down the road and an earthquake happens and her car falls over into the crack and she, she's gone. Now Superman's not there because at that particular moment he's having to repair the Hoover Dam with the literal boulders he's stacking up. When he finds out Lois is gone, he gets distraught, upset, begins to grieve. I mean, he's like a Kentucky fan last night. I mean, bad, right? And so what does he do? Those of you who seen the movie, what does he do? He flies the opposite way around the earth to make the earth rotate in the opposite direction. And according to the movie, how many of you have never seen this film? I'm sorry for you all. All right. When the earth spins the opposite direction, time goes backwards. And all of a sudden, all the special effects, everything starts going backwards. And he does it enough that he gets there in time to save Lois Lane. Now, you realize that could never, I mean, it's a superhero movie, but it's even that, in that, it's ridiculous. But here's the question I wonder. You ever wish you could turn back time? Go redo something? Fix something. Try to make something work that didn't work before. Do you ever wish you could go back to a certain instance in your life and redo it? 
like back before he walked out. Or the moment before you decided to get the divorce. Or back before you sent that email that caused the relationship to tear apart. Or that day before you lost the job you really loved. Ever wish you could go back? The problem is, there are a lot of decisions in life that we make that seem irreversible. I mean, when you bake chocolate chip cookies and you burn them, you cannot unburn them. I've tried. You can't scrape it off, all right? Doesn't work. Today we're going to look at a story from Scripture that people thought they were in an irreversible place. In fact, it's probably the most irreversible place we can imagine. It's standing as their brother has died a premature death. John chapter 11. This is how the story begins. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, just so you know, this is the first time that these three are mentioned in the book of John, but they were well known throughout the Christian community. They were mentioned in other gospels. These are three of Jesus' best friends. I mean, if Jesus was in an 80s movie about a group of friends going on an expedition together, these three people with the disciples would have been there, all right? They were close. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. If you remember that story, this is the same Mary, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, quick question before we go on. You got somebody close to you, somebody that you care about, somebody that you love. And you find out that they're deathly ill and they're calling for you. If you truly love them, what are you going to do? Go, right? Right? Some of you aren't answering. Like that's, that's what you do. That's what you expect. Now, here's the thing. These women and Lazarus had been with Jesus during his ministry especially in the Jerusalem time, and they know that he's capable of doing amazing things. They had seen him literally bring back people that were on the verge of death. They had seen him heal the eyes of someone who could not see. They had seen him help lame to walk. They had seen him heal time after time after time again. And these women, their brother has gone ill. They think, we know Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus loves our brother. Jesus and our, my brother are tight. They're good friends. We're going to call out. Jesus is going to come. He's going to heal it. He's going to take care of everything, and it'll be good. Now, many of you know the story. Is that what happens? No. Here's the next verse. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Quick question for you who knows the story. What happens to Lazarus? He dies. Does that mean Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about? Does that mean he's made a mistake here? We'll find out. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let me just talk about this for a second. Last week we talked about this a little bit, and we're not going to spend a lot of time today. But one of the things you see throughout Scripture, and we've talked about it this way, is that the goal that we have in life is to glorify God, not to have a happy, safe life. And what Jesus says here is, What's going to happen to Lazarus, the purpose is to glorify Jesus, even though it's not what Lazarus and his sister would have chosen. Now, Jesus, this is one of the two strangest verses in Scripture. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word love there doesn't mean anything but love. It means love. It means this family kind of love. He treated them like brothers and sisters. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he... 
ran as fast as he could to find him. He set everything aside and went to take care of the problem. What does it say? That's not what it says. It says he stayed two days longer where he was. Now, just to be real honest, if you're just counting this and forget it to Jesus and you heard this story, this does not count as a good friend. Right? I mean, it doesn't sound like that's what a friend does. Like, oh, he's really sick. He's about to die. Good. I'll wait a couple of days. Then after this, he said the disciples. So the disciples are kind of questioning why we don't need to go. He says, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples say, this is a little background we didn't give you, but Jesus had just left this area. When he left the area, he left because they were trying to stone him. So the disciples say, Rabbi, teacher, uh, Jesus, um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but we left there because they were trying to kill you. The Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Why are you going again? Now, Jesus, we're not going to put this on the screen, but Jesus gives kind of this answer about the daylight and all this. And he's basically saying, I've got to do the work that I'm supposed to do no matter what. And then he tells them this. He said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, whether you are a church person or follower of Jesus or not, you've got to love how the disciples react to this. The disciples say, Lord, if he's sleeping, let somebody else wake him up. Like, we read that and we think, okay, he died. That's not what they thought. They thought, uh, go get somebody to pour some water on his face or something. He'll be, okay, we don't have to go back. The next verse says, Jesus, realizing that they were boneheaded, says, <laughs> says, tells them plainly, he died. And then look at what he says. And I am glad that he died. I'm glad I wasn't there. Because... You're going to believe better because he's dead. Now, if you're Lazarus, you're like, hey, can we find somebody else to play this little game here? Right? I mean, like, okay, Jesus, I'm glad you're going to be glorified. I'm glad the disciples are going to believe. But I didn't really get asked about this whole dying thing. Let us go to him. And I love Thomas. This is the same Thomas who asked to see in the resurrection story to touch the prince. He says, okay, let's all go. We're going to go die anyways. Let's all go die together with him. So they take off. Next verse they see. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb four days. Now, I know when you read that, you think, okay, that's four days. But to the Jewish people, that was significant. There was this kind of strange thought among some people in the Jewish community, especially developed during Jesus' time and a little bit after, that they thought that when a person died, their soul left their body. Again, this is a Jewish thought. This is not Christian theology, okay? That their soul left their body and hovered around their body for three days, trying to decide whether or not it was going to re-enter the body. When the fourth day came, it was done. The reason that the four days is important, because if he had been raised within the three days, they would have said, well, uh, he was just kind of sleeping. Jesus was just kind of doing this. This isn't, he wasn't really dead. He was just ill. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. When Martha gets there, she lets Jesus know what she thinks. Here's the verse. Martha said to Jesus, the same thing you and I would have said. If you'd been here, Jesus. Do you know another way to say that? Where were you? You ever felt like the Lord is distant? 
not responding to you, not listening to your prayers, not answering you. Like, in fact, when people talk about talking to the Lord or praying to the Lord, you're like, I don't even have a clue what that means. Or you ever been somebody that's following Jesus and then something happens in your life and you desperately seek the Lord for an answer. You desperately cry out to him and it feels like you are banging your head against the wall and nothing ever changes. Martha looks at Jesus and tied up in all of that is, you know us, you loved him, you were a part of our family, we treated you like a brother, we know that you loved us, why were you not here, where have you been, he is already dead. Now, I'm not really even sure what this next phrase means, except that she still believes in him, she just wished he would have been there earlier. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now, they didn't have as complicated of an understanding of the end of time like we do. But they thought, there were some of them that thought when God's kingdom came back that some of the dead would rise. And so Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha tells him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am. It's the same phrase that's used in the Old Testament when God says, who am I? I am that I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? They're outside the city. They're outside the town. Mary and Martha apparently were very popular people. In fact, the scripture tells us several people were there mourning. And you have to understand that that showed significance and probably wealth. In their day and time, when you had a funeral, you were required to have three people there. You were required, no matter how poor you were, to have at your funeral three people. You were to have one woman who was a professional mourner. She just went from funeral to funeral mourning with you. And then you had to have two flautists. Y'all know what a flautist is? Plays the flute. I prefer in the South to call it a flutist. All right? You had to require that. They had lots of people there. So they were wealthy people. So Martha has all these people back at the house. She goes to meet Jesus out, not at the tomb, not at the house. She's just one-on-one with him. And she says, where were you? And he says, he'll live again. She goes, I'm not, I don't care about the end times right now. I don't care about the end of days. I want my brother now. And Jesus says, if you want him now, you can have him now. And then he asks her, do you believe in me? Can I just tell you? That that last phrase, the I am the resurrection and the life, the whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? That is the question that every single person on the face of the earth has to come to grips with at some point in their life. That is the question of the hour. It's the question of every hour. It's the question of every minute. Do you believe that that's true? Because if you do, it changes everything about your life. And if you don't, it changes everything about your life. Do you believe this? Mary comes out, they have a conversation, and Jesus gets a little upset because everybody keeps coming, where were you, why weren't you here? And so then in the next verse, we can go to the next one now. Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And you have the shortest verse in all of Scripture, and it's just two words, Jesus wept. Some Jews thought, well, see, he loved him. Others thought, but he could have saved him if he loved him. I think this is what's happening. Jesus is standing here 
on the edge of going to Jerusalem for the last week of his life. He is among the people that he loves the most, and none of them believe that he can do what he's about to do. They have no faith that he can do it. Many of you know the rest of the story. We'll go ahead and read it. Here's what happens next. Jesus deeply moved again. The, the, the word there means in the soul of who you are. There was a deepness to where he couldn't get. It, it just it devoured him inside. Came to the doom. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, wait, 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 Jesus. He's been dead four days. There will be an odor. That's a very nice way to put what it says in the scripture. I love the... King James Version, which is, it's been four days. By now, Lord, he stinketh. All right. By this time, there will be an odor. And here's that four days again. It's four days. It's over. It's irreversible. It can't happen, Jesus. It's not the three-day period, waiting period. It's over. It's four days. Give it up. Don't roll the stone away. I mean, it's obvious, Martha, even though she said, I believe, Jesus, I believe that you are the resurrection of life. I believe that if you believe in him, that you will have life and you'll never die. But obviously, you don't know. He's dead. It's irreversible. It's over. Nothing can change it. It cannot be done anything with. Next verse, Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe me, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. And it's the only place we have in Scripture where we see Jesus praying for other people to see. He'd already apparently asked God for Lazarus to be raised. He's just going to let him see that it's because of his power that it happens. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me. I'm just saying this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Listen, these people are going to have to know in the days ahead when I'm going to the cross, when I'm being crucified, when I raise again from the dead that I came from you. And so show these people your power. Jesus puts his reputation on the line right here as the son of God to raise this man from the dead. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. I love that little tidbit. He's standing at the tomb. They've rolled the stone away. <laughs> Isn't that a cruel foreshadowing of what's coming at the end of the book? What we celebrate today, they roll the stone away. And there are some preachers that say if he hadn't used the word Lazarus, he had to be careful because if he would have just said, come out, then there may have been lots of dead bodies suddenly coming. But he says specifically, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Now, here's the thing you have to understand about what happened when they buried people on that day. They would take their feet and they would tie them together. They would put their arms and they would tie them to their side. And so when they were laid in the tomb, they were laid with feet bound with their arms together. And then they would put over 100 pounds of grave clothing on them. Enough that even around the head, the grave cloth would have been a foot thick. And so I don't know what image you have of Lazarus coming out of the grave. I don't know if you kind of like me when I was growing up, I thought like a mummy with his arms out kind of waddling like this. I only know the only way he came out was hopping, right? How is she going to move if your feet are tied together? Your arms are at your side, right? So he's hopping out and he gets kind of to the, to the front. And, you know, people are like, oh, look at that. He's hopping out. That's amazing. And Jesus, he shouldn't even have to say this, right? I mean, the guy's hopping out. Somebody ought to go, hey, maybe we need to get that stuff off of him. But Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here's the point of the whole story. This is the point of the whole thing. 
If you've been here for the last few weeks here at First Baptist, we've been talking about the seven miracles that Jesus did on the way to the cross. And this is the seventh one. Immediately after this, it says they decided they had to kill him. He rose the dead. We have to kill him. Here's the point of all those miracles, but particularly this one. With Jesus, nothing is irreversible. Nothing is irreversible. I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what is troubling you, holding you back. I don't know what that moment is you wish you could go back and undo. But I do know this. With Jesus, nothing is irreversible. Here's the interesting thing about this whole passage to me. It's a symbol. Not only does it look forward to when Jesus comes out of the grave, the resurrection Sunday that we celebrate, that shows that Jesus has power over sin and death and that he is victorious in the things that matter most in life and that one day those who follow him will rule with him and reign with him and be in a place that is so much better than we are now. All that is important, but there's also this picture in here in chapter 11 of Lazarus, of you and me. You see, it's Genesis talks about the fact that when Adam and Eve chose to sin, that we began to wrap ourselves in the sinful things that we do. And you and I have spent years and years and years piling on grave cloth after grave cloth after grave cloth to our head size is much bigger than a foot. We are so impacted by our sin that we don't even realize that it has completely deadened us. In fact, Scripture says that because of our sins, we are dead in our transgressions. And on our own, it is an irreversible condition. You ever watch somebody on TV and they ask them about something that's happened in your life and they'll use this phrase, I have no regrets about anything I've ever done. Do you know what I call that? Baloney. Listen, I have regrets about things I did this week. I have regrets about, I'm sure by the end of the day, I'll have regrets about things I did today. To be honest with you, when I'm eating lunch, I'll probably have regrets about things I said in this sermon. Man, I should have done that differently. I should have done that. was my fault. It just happens. And the reason we have regrets is because we have sin. In fact, someone that says they don't have any regrets have denied the fact that they are sinners. And to do that makes God a liar. And in our own, we can do nothing about our sin. But praise be to God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He stands at our grave while we are wrapped in grave cloths and he yells our particular name. Lyle, come forth. And in that moment, the question you have to ask yourself is, do you believe? The same question he asked Martha, do you believe this? There are some of you here today that have never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. There are some of you here today that have never accepted his forgiveness. And as a result, you are still in your sin wrapped in those grave And I wonder today if you can answer this question. Do you believe this? I'm not asking if you've ever joined a church. I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized. I'm not asking if you read your Bible. I'm not asking if you're trying to live your life good. I'm asking you, has there ever been a moment in your life when you have placed your complete 
trust in who Jesus is. The word that John uses over and over and over again is believe. And believe doesn't mean just, oh, I think I agree with that. It means I am putting everything I am on the line for this. It is Jesus standing in front of a grave with a man that had been dead four years and saying to his dad, I'm about to ask this guy to come out and I trust you're going to do it and I know it. I'm placing my complete trust in you. It is taking a step of faith and that it doesn't matter what happens in my life. It doesn't matter what happens with my family. It doesn't matter what happens with my career. It doesn't matter what happens with my health. I am saying that I am following Jesus and believe in him and what he has called me to do and my entire life is being placed on him. Do you believe? In just a moment, Jeff and the band are going to come back and we're going to play a song of response. And I'm going to be standing right down here. And if you, you grew up in church, or you're a part of church, or you're a part of here, we do this every week. And sometimes that makes it feel like it can just become normal every week. You just kind of come and, all right, this is the part where we sing a song. And when we're done with that, Brother Lyle tells us we can all go. And so let's just kind of wait through that. But here's the question I want you to deal with during this moment. Do you believe? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you said that my life, I have an irreversible condition that is called sin and I can do nothing about it, but praise be to God that Jesus did. And are you willing to put your life on the line for that? Let's pray together.